electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Democrats outline a tax hike for the wealthy, though when and how much, still unknown. David Rubenstein, the Carlyle Group co-founder. The only thing that is certain, in my view, as Benjamin Franklin said, is death and taxes. There will be no doubt that before Congress leaves this year, there will be a tax increase of some amount. And up in the air, it's time for airlines to land on vaccine mandates for travelers, says president of the Flight Attendants Association, Sarah Nelson. Everyone has got to be vaccinated, and that's the only way that we're going to end this pandemic. That's the only way we're going to get back to the freedoms that we enjoyed before it started, and it's got to happen. Those stories Plus, it's an app battle, Apple's epic saga, and number two defeats number one. Daniel Medvedev's match against Novak Djokovic. So he's the second greatest tennis player in the world. It's Monday, September 13th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we are coming off a pretty rough week for stocks, at least relatively speaking, if you're looking at things. You're looking at the worst week that we've seen for the Dow since uh, June. Same thing with the S&P. The Nasdaq actually saw its worst week since, the, since May. This morning, though, there are some pretty strong green arrows across the board. Andrew? We've got a couple of big stories to tell you about, uh, perhaps the biggest right now. House Democrats set to propose a 26.5 percent corporate tax rate. It would be a hike from 21 percent. Now, the top individual rate would go to 39.6 percent. The rate on capital gains would jump to 25 percent. The proposal also includes a three percentage point surtax on individual income above $5 million. The tax hikes would be part of the plan to pay for the Democrats' budget bill between the Obamacare surcharge and the $5 million surcharge, you could be looking, if I, am I doing the math right? You'd be looking at about 46% before you hit state before you, you were state. at that, that top level. But then the surtax only kicks in, I think, after $5 million, right? Yes. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't necessarily so it'd be mar- raise your so rate. So it would be a marginal be a- rate for, right. right. And yep. most viewers yep. are thinking, I don't have this problem, so what, what, <laughs> what, what, what am I even listening to this for? Right. No. Nope. I mean, viewers. It, except we got except, plenty of except a couple of our own. You know, <laughs> we got plenty of viewers. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that they probably worry about that. If, if anybody has them, maybe they'll be. They'll oh, no, they're them. they're watching the show if they're out there. Novak Djokovic uh, was one win away from an elusive calendar Grand Slam, but it didn't happen. Daniil Medvedev defeated the world's number one to win the U.S. men's uh, open men's single crown. It's Medvedev's first career a Grand Slam win, but he's young, uh, kind of young, 25. On Saturday, Emma Raducanu became the youngest major champion in 17 years. The 18-year-old beat 19-year-old Layla Fernandez, who just turned 19, uh, for the women's title, her first Grand Slam victory. She didn't drop a set, and she was a qualifier. That was phenomenal. Um, Joe? For Joker, he, uh, 
he had played 17 hours and 26 minutes in his previous six matches, and Medvedev had played 11 hours and 51 minutes and had not faced a top 10 opponent. Djokovic, if you saw the Zverev <laughs> match, five-setter, and he was had to, to dig really deep. He had to dig deep. Tired. He had to dig deep against. Yesterday. He didn't have his legs uh, yesterday. I, I would tell my son, he's like, you know, it's Djokovic. I go, Scotty, uh, Medvedev is number two. So he's the second greatest tennis player <laughs> in the world. And we just expect Djokovic to, to do Pop it again up. and again yeah. and just win. All, I go, you have to win those points. And this guy doesn't want you to win those points. And he's not a machine. He's a human. It was, it was really heartbreaking, though, because I don't think he's going to have another... How about Laver? Laver's so cool, but Laver's there like, sorry. Uh, you know, because obviously, I don't... At, at 34, Novak, is he going to win 21? Probably. He'll probably win his 21st yeah. Grand Slam. 22, 23, maybe. To do it in a calendar, wow. Well, to do it in yeah. a calendar, but his, you could see his legs. Did you see the, a lot of the... I watched the whole thing, but a lot of the there, shots... You were there, weren't you? I thought I saw pictures of you there. No, no. I was there a week ago Saturday. Oh, that, that's what I mean. Not, not yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. During, yeah during I was the course there a week ago Saturday. Saw, yeah. saw Barty uh, get beat by the American. But then she was tired uh, the, the next time. But his legs, he didn't have his legs. Did you see a lot of the shots that he yeah. normally would have? He was hitting them in. And it was when he. But Medvedev's serve was, was just unbelievable. Fire. Well, that was it. Right. I mean. If you, get, if you got two points you're going to get in a game with the other guy not touching the ball, you have a pretty good chance and and that's why uh, Novak's comeback attempts to break him it was just not going to happen when when he was like you're, you're spotting the guy too already with those those sir he's six six and as you heard uh, I think it was Patrick McEnroe said you you call a basketball player he's you know six two but he plays like right. he's six six they said this guy's six six but he plays like he's six well, John was running, running the running the producer credits I think I know he was four, four we talked games, to, we talked about that too. and then he broke him and then he broke him you know when Novak broke his racket and I that's it, unfortunate I, temper my but, son said they should kick him out they should end the game right now. You're fine for that. But didn't that tell you that, he's not rope-a-doping? He's, he's not rope-a-doping. Right. He's not doing this lulling the guy. And that he's, right. he's worried. He's yeah. worried about because he wouldn't do that if he wasn't really. Yep. It was great. It was better than those stupid NFL games. God almighty. Lost, did you? Oh. <laughs> Pain. <laughs> and I upped my bet. I was like betting. I'm betting like $20 on some oh of Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We're going to talk some another game, a different kind of game, though. It's a, I don't know if it's a corporate game, but it's about gaming. Uh, Fortnite video game maker Epic Games officially appealing a ruling over the weekend that Apple's App Store is not a monopoly. In a ruling on Friday, a judge ordered Apple to change part of its App Store setup, but rejected allegations that the tech giant was running a monopoly. We've talked about this case for now months. Um, I've I made the argument repeatedly that, that I liked your comp- take on Twitter. Uh, I've made the argument repeatedly the company wasn't a monopoly. Uh, the judge agrees. The, ju- the company, you know, it's very popular to say that Apple is a monopoly. Uh, the judge uh, effectively said it's not. In fact, I would argue, not even argue, Epic lost across the board. I mean, just it was it was almost uh, it was it's almost the stock was down. It was but, almost a and, route. And their, their reaction to it, the yeah, corporate release. And, they and I think too. the reaction yeah. suggests that, 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 they, that they were unhappy with, with it. However... There is one major piece, which I think, frankly, the, the popular press, the tech press is sort of holding on to, which is uh, the judge did rule effectively that they are effectively anti-competitive 
not using the Sherman Act, which is a federal law, but using a California law, the Cartwright law, which if, which is much broader and effectively can say anything is unfair. And she is now saying that they have to uh, remove this uh, piece of text in their agreements with developers that says you can't have a button, an external link out uh, or anything else language effectively telling you that you could go buy, um, you know, coins or other kinds of electronic goods on other platforms. How that gets implemented, what that actually means, when she says you can't have a button, whether you have to have a button, <laughs> I know you don't like when I say that, button because I, I, I have a I D over it's a so T. Funny. I don't, There's a big debate about what that actually is going to mean. Because button. Swallow it. Button. Is she effectively saying that all of a sudden now you actually have to have other payment processing right there yeah. where you can press the button? button. But there you go. Or, See, you are capable. Is she saying that that language is just going to have to go away? This is all going to get litigated. It's going to go to an appeals court. Um, I, most federal judges hate state laws that contradict federal That's laws. That's the point you made that I thought was so interesting. You go to think. Think yeah. if this goes to the Supreme Court. Do you think a right. by the way a conservative court is going to take a or California a law to apply it to the rest of the country? That right. unto itself might be considered unconstitutional. Right. So this is so far from being over, but that's my, uh, my that was the, the, but the, next, the point that I thought was really smart that I didn't see other places. Just this idea that if it's a state law, will federal judges look at that and say, hang right. on a second, we can't, you know, take that in a broader context. That's going to be very interesting to watch. But that's why the, the stock fell three percent because of yeah. because of this component. And the question is, what happens in the next 90 days? Does a judge give them more time to figure out the implementation of this? Also, judges, uh, by the way, uh, appellate judges really hate solutions that are (laughs) imposed by other judges, typically, because nobody's ever clear which solution they like. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next. Very smart analysis. I appreciated that. It was like a very good, quick analysis of everything that kind of thinking through it. So well done. Kudos. And you can see why someone would think that Google is a monopoly or even Apple is a monopoly. But it's like the Peter Thiel monopoly. You want... A, a monopoly, monopoly because you're unbelievably <laughs> great at whatever. And, and for me, Apple is a monopoly. It's like my entire life is in that ecosystem. Somehow. I can't drive anywhere. But you have a choice. If you, you can either buy right, it. I could do Android. You, you can do Android. Can do Android. Can do but you know what? It's, it's, it's like a legal. It's, it's like it's stickiness. so good that it, yeah. it, it's right. like not a monopoly, but it, it might as well be. But because it's, it's a serious it's, pain if you actually think about switching everything you have in their, in their ecosystem and moving it somewhere else. That's the... If Apple has skipped numbers in the, the, for their phone, haven't they? Have, have yeah, didn't they, they skip? Was it? Which, I think it's a ten. I think maybe. See, I got married. I got married on the thirteenth. Very lucky. Very yeah. lucky. And they're doing the Apple thirteen. Like, there's buildings that don't have a thirteenth floor. I was, I well, thirteen was always 13 my, floor, my soccer number. I, when, huh? I, when I played soccer, I was it's a good always number. I loved, Damn yeah. good number. Yeah. Seven. I don't trust a lot of times. Okay, weirdo. Uh, I was number seven when I played soccer. There I like go. seven, too. Soccer for, I mean, for, for second graders. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back. And COVID news, this is important, too. We're going to continue to follow the timeline for possible approval of the Pfizer vaccine for children ages 5 to 11. The latest reports, including comments from Dr. Scott Gottlieb this weekend and from Dr. Anthony Fauci, suggest that it could come by the end of October. If that's the case, maybe that's about three or four weeks earlier than the last update that we've gotten. It's important uh, not only because it's three or four weeks earlier, but also because it would mean kids could be vaccinated before the holidays and maybe that could prevent some of the spread if people are getting together. 
together in in, for the holidays and then coming back to school. So we'll continue to watch it. In the meantime, overseas, the U.K. is expected to pull back from plans to call for proof of vaccination to enter some places. The country's health minister says that Britain may also drop mandatory testing for returning travelers. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is set to announce new steps in the fight against COVID tomorrow. And then there's the topic of vaccine boosters, controversial because uh, there are a lot of places in, in the world, developing nations, that haven't gotten any shots yet. Israel's top of health official says that his country is planning to make sure that a fourth booster shot is possible for his citizens. In an interview this weekend, he said that this means making sure that there is sufficient supply. Coming up, a tax hike for the wealthy, maybe? Don't look at us to defend those fat cats. Best guesses on the details, plus China, vaccines and market expectations with Carlyle Group's David Rubenstein. The markets are a little frothy, but in the end, um, the markets are not so high as to make me think we're going to have a gigantic correction anytime soon. Squawk Pod is back after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. You knew that the market was going to have a big snapback today. Here's, here's the journal. Warnings grow of autumn stock pullback. And what have we been talking about ever since all September we, 1st? That's all we could. If everybody's talking about it, it ain't, especially us. Well, <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's, right. it's not going to happen. Now the journal I just I don't know. Never short a dull market. That's the that's that's the expression. And I just feel like I agree with everything in there. Like there's nothing left for this to go up for. And we're doing all this. You know, Washington's got all these grand plans. None of them are are good for the economy or or, uh, corporations. We are unpacking the latest tax uh, proposals from House Democrats. They appear to get some concessions to companies, but uh, high earners uh, may get hit harder. Um, Speaking of which. Robert Frank joins us now with more. Hey, Robert. Good morning, Joe. The tax plan from the House Democrats adds a 3% surtax to earners making more than $5 million. You combine that with the other tax changes, it would create a combined tax rate of over 61% for New York City top earners and about 60% in California. So here's the math and here's the breakdown. Like the Biden plans, the House wants a top tax income rate of 39.6%. That's up from the current 37%. The income threshold would also be lowered to individuals making $400,000 and couples making $450,000. High earners also currently pay that 3% net investment income tax. 
That brings the rate to 43.4%. Add to that the new proposed 3% surcharge, and you get a top federal rate of 46.4%. Now, for New York City, if you add in the new higher state tax rate, the city rate, top earners would face a combined marginal tax rate of 61.2%. That is believed to be the highest combined rate in New York City since the 1980s. In California, they would pay a combined rate of 59.7%. And for New Jersey, it would be 57.2%. The House would also apply that top rate to pass-through profits, so individuals and companies that file as pass-throughs would both face those new higher tax rates. And guys, the good news, I guess, for the asset wealthy is the House is only proposing to raise the capital gains rate to 25% rather than the 39.6% that Biden has proposed. And interestingly, there is no mention here of an elimination of the step up in basis. So under the House plan, that would be preserved. Joe? You know what's still being bandied? This, this is new stuff. This is not what we expected necessarily. And you're, you're talking about different things every week now, uh, Robert. It, it, who do you think is the ar- architect of this? Who did they talk to? Did they talk to the people in the House that uh, the moderates talked to? The, maybe some of the senators that are more moderate. Where did this come from, do you think? Who knows? What is clear from this, and again, these numbers could change when all is said and done, but what's important to me is just the general direction, which is let's give concessions to companies, because clearly companies have lobbied heavily against the higher corporate tax rate and the foreign profits rate. And so where are we going to get that revenue? We're going to get it from the wealthy. So I think what's important is the direction here, raising not as much revenue as they wanted from companies, but shifting that onto the wealthiest to appease the progressives in the party. Um, 61.7, did you say? For New York City, that's 61.2. For people, 61.2 for people that you have to make more than $5 million a year. Correct. And remember, that's a marginal rate, so we always have to say that 61.2%, that highest yeah. rate, would only apply to every dollar that you make over $5 million. Well, don't look at us to defend those fat cats. You know, how many people does is that? That's uh, not that many. No one. You know, that's the great thing about raising taxes. You know what I mean? It's like, is it hard to get 80 percent of the people to, to try to stick it to the other 20 percent? I think why not? And, and when you get the five million, it's like who's sticking up for those schmoes? Nobody. Are you? They make too much no. money anyway. No, I'm just Nobody the need- facts and the math, Jet. Nobody yeah. needs that. Nobody needs that kind of. Do they, Sorkin? You see, you hear what I'm saying? Are you exactly what you're not one of them, are you? Yeah, I, I want to be one of them. Why? You just pay 70% in taxes. Why? What, what's the point? Stop working. Thanks, Robert. Wow, I hope that doesn't happen. All right, for a closer look right now at the tax battle on Capitol Hill and the potential impact on investors, let's welcome David Rubenstein. He's the Carlyle Group co-founder and non-executive chairman. He's got a new book out. It's called The American Experiment, Dialogues on a Dream. We're going to talk about the book in just a moment, but first we want to talk taxes and all these new ideas that are coming out of Washington. David, if you'll give us a, a moment on that, um, let's let's talk through some of these numbers first. The idea of uh, the tax rate on companies not going as high as Biden has wanted. This is the newest that's coming out, and who knows what actually gets passed. But if they're looking for twenty six and a half percent instead of the twenty eight that he'd been looking for originally, and then taking that burden and putting it on the wealthiest Americans, is that uh, a good plan in your estimation? Well, remember, uh, this is just a proposal by the House Ways and Means Committee chair. Um, the numbers haven't been verified by the Congressional Budget Office yet as to what they will raise. 
Secondly, we haven't really heard from the Senate. So tax bills usually are passed uh, about a day or two before they they are really revealed. Uh, We won't really know what's in the tax bill until Congress has to have the tax bill in front of it. I suspect that will be at the end of the year. So there's going to be a lot of skirmishing and kabuki dance for quite some time. Uh, We just don't know what's going to happen. But in the end, remember, they're trying to raise three and a half trillion dollars. The Senate hasn't agreed to the three and a half trillion dollars. Suppose the Senate says we only want to have spending of three trillion or two point five trillion. Then you don't need this much revenue. So right now, we just don't really know what's going on. It's a very good time to be a tax lobbyist because there's plenty of lobbying to go be done. But as to what's going to be in the final bill, nobody really knows, including the chairman of either the House committee or the Senate Finance Committee. Yeah, I I suspect we won't know what's actually in the bill until after it's passed and there's time to actually read through all of it and and figure out what the implications are on all of these things. And you're right, it's a good time to be a lobbyist in any of these scenarios. But there there does seem to be a bent um, among progressive Democrats, especially to, to punish the wealthier people or at least make them pay what they consider is their fair share. Um, so would it surprise you um, to have something, again, maybe not the details that we're talking about right now, but to have some of the burden that was expected to go to corporations instead fall on wealthier Americans? Well, nothing would really surprise me. Uh, you know, as Will Rogers famously said, the country's never safe as long as Congress is in session. So you never know exactly what's going to happen. But uh, the most important thing I think people should remember is that we don't have an agreement between the House and Senate on how much money is to be raised, let alone where the money is going to come from, and let alone how these uh, numbers uh, coincide with what the president's willing to support. So it's going to be a wave before we, we really know what's going on. Uh, clearly, uh, we need to raise more revenue, I believe, uh, to pay for the government we now have. I think the Republicans generally believe that they're going to control Congress next time after the midterms, whether they, that's right or not, they believe that. So I don't think the Republicans want to propose any tax increases when they're in control. So I suspect while they won't vote for any tax increases, the Democrats will barely pass a tax increase and they will get blamed for it, so-called blamed for it by the by the Republicans. And the Republicans in the next Congress won't have to have any tax increases because they can blame the Democrats for having pushed the tax increases this Congress. You do think something will get done before the end of the year, though? The only thing that is certain, in my view, as Benjamin Franklin said, is death and taxes. And there is no doubt that we're going to have a tax increase. No doubt at all. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but there will be no doubt that before Congress leaves this year, there will be a tax increase of some amount. You think that it will be retroactive? I mean, that's the other issue that's kind of hanging out there. Some of these changes that are being discussed, if they're done retroactively, um, could mean some pretty big tax bills for corporations or people at the end of the year. As a general rule of thumb, when you announce a tax proposal, you say it's retroactive the day you announce it, but it rarely happens that way. So I would be surprised if anything is really retroactive, because in the end, you're just playing with numbers about how much money you can raise, and you can raise a little bit more money by increasing rates prospectively. So I doubt that there'll be retroactive uh, tax increases. That would be my view. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit about um, China, because tensions have been ratcheting up. We have seen stocks uh, today. It was electric vehicles and some of the technology stocks in China, again, that were under pressure. Um, And just the pressure that we've seen between Washington and Beijing. Uh, Beijing may have expected that that they'd be getting an easier run with, with President Biden, but they have not so far. How do you think this plays out? Um, I think the uh, Chinese government was probably in favor of Biden. They were tired of Trump, in my view. And so while you never know exactly what the Politburo wanted, I suspect the majority of it probably thought it'd be easier to deal with Biden. 
I think that they've been surprised, but now they've adjusted. Uh, they recognize that uh, President Biden isn't going to be as easy as they once thought. And President Biden is not prepared to look like he's soft on China. So uh, the proxy for all this recently has been Taiwan. There's been a lot of uh, ratcheting up of revenue relating to ta- uh, re- rhetoric, I should say, ratcheting up of rhetoric relating to Taiwan. And I don't think it's going to amount to that much, but we've been skirmishing over Taiwan. I don't think there's going to be any military confrontation there, but we've been using that as a proxy for the differences between the United States and China overall policy. Right now, I think the business community in the United States is somewhat worried about some of the clampdown on on large corporations now in China and some of their uh, uh, inability to do certain things. But as a general rule of thumb, U.S. and China business is moving forward. The government rhetoric is not very good. David, one of the reasons I love talking to you is that we we can talk about so many different things. We we focused on Washington to this point, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the markets. Uh, I mean, last week was a rough week, relatively speaking, for the markets. But you're still uh, talking about the Dow less than 3 percent away from an all-time high. And that's before you consider that it's indicated up another 200 points today. Does it make you nervous when when the stocks are sitting at, at these levels? Or do you think it's justified and that there are more gains to come? The economy is actually coming back. Despite the virus, the economy is coming back and is growing. Uh, we'll grow probably at about five and a half to six percent this year. Now, overall, we're still a little bit below where we were before COVID in terms of overall GDP. But the economy is growing. And I think that if we can solve the virus a little bit better than we're doing right now, I do think the economy will continue to grow. The markets are a little frothy, but in the end, um, the markets are not so high as to make me think we're going to have a, a gigantic correction anytime soon. So I think uh, the markets are going to look at what's what's happening in Congress, going to look at whether we're making progress on the virus. Overall, I think the markets are going to tread water uh, for a, a bit more. I don't see any gigantic upside right now, but I don't see any big downside either. So you sound pretty sanguine. Well, I'm, I, I think the markets are basically saying, look, we've, we've seen enormous amounts of increases over the last three or four years in the markets. The markets are frothy. I know in, in the private equity world, people are paying high prices. On the other hand, People are buying things from people who paid high prices and even at even higher prices. So the markets are reasonably good. I think the economy is in reasonably good shape. Uh, our economy is much better shaped than economies around the world, I would say. So the U.S. economy, I think, is OK. If we can get the virus uh, in better shape than we have today, I think the, the economy will be a little bit better than we have been. Uh, I do think the markets are wor- worried about a little bit what's going to happen in Congress. But I don't think the markets are going to react unduly to the tax proposals, because I think the markets recognize these tax proposals are going to go back and forth for quite some time before we actually know what's going to happen. And I think the markets have already built in a tax increase of a certain level. I think they're more concerned about what the rates increases are going to be when the Fed gets around to increasing rates. But I think the markets now believe rate increases are not going to occur uh, this year. Hey, David, uh, question about the vaccines related to what you were just mentioning, trying to get us back all on track controversial decision by the president uh, in some quarters. Uh, do you have either portfolio companies or your company itself that's planning to object? Well, um, our own policy and many uh, companies that we, we are involved with is to have our employees be vaccinated. Uh, we do believe the vaccination is the best way to proceed uh, in terms of dealing with the virus. So I'm vaccinated and, and all the people I deal with are vaccinated. I assume all of you are vaccinated. We are. But do you have then then let's extend this to your portfolio companies. Is that policy extending to all of your portfolio companies and the employees in those companies? Well, we don't control all the companies. Sometimes we have minority stakes and so forth and so on. So it depends. And remember, every company we own is not in the United States. And so it's a different kind of situation. In the U.S. In the U.S., uh, I would only say that Carlisle has said that we want our employees to be vaccinated 
Um, that has been our policy. And Your portfolio uh, companies, I, though, I, I said I, I, that, that's where speak, they I, but take out the ones that you have a majority stake in, for example. I can't say that we've issued a statement on that yet, but it is my view that it'd be a good thing for everybody to be vaccinated. Uh, clearly, when you have vaccinations, you have a better chance of dealing with this virus. The Delta variant is strong. And while the current vi- or the current vaccine works for it, it's not clear yet whether if we have mutations on the Delta variant, uh, whether the vaccine will work. I think it will, but we don't know for certain. The most important thing we know is that vaccines do work. And it's a miracle that we got a vaccine in less than 11 months. Normally, it takes four to seven years to produce a vaccine. So it's really a, a great testament to our NIH and the, and the vaccine manufacturers that we could get this vaccine. And it does work. And I do think that um, at some point when people can get boosters, it'll be helpful to do that as well. So as a general rule of thumb, I think it's a good thing for everybody to be vaccinated. And I'm concerned when people can, don't want to be vaccinated. It's a real challenge for the overall economy. David, let's talk about your new book. It's called The American Exper- Experiment, Dialogues in, in Dreams, and uh, Dialogues on a Dream. And, and for this, you spoke to a lot of really interesting people. Uh, Ken Burns, Paul Simon, Wynton Marsalis, Billie Jean King, David McCullough, and you ask them about different subjects um, and, and how that kind of relates back to the American dream. How'd you come up with the idea? Well, the theory is that uh, our representative democracy works best when people are informed about our history and, and the way the government works. And this is part of an effort to kind of do a better job than maybe some others have done of informing people about our history. Uh, it turns out that uh, many people in the country cannot pass the basic citizenship test that foreigners are given when they want to become Uh, naturalized citizens. It's a sad commentary right now because we don't teach civics and history very much. The premise of the book, though, is that we have wonderful rhetoric when we created this country. All all men are to be created equal and really all people are to be created equal. And we had wonderful rhetoric in the Constitution, but we haven't really lived up to that. And this is a story about how we've tried to live up to the, the rhetoric of the last 230 years. Sometimes we've done it well, sometimes we have not. And I talk about the stress tests that our democracy have gone through. The most obvious one is the Civil War. But we've been through two terrible stress tests recently. One of them was uh, the coronavirus stress test, which really put our healthcare system in, in great uh, peril in many ways and our health of our, our economy in great peril. And secondly, the events of the election and January 6th, another stress test that I believe we got through because of the rule of law. I've talked about the fact that the United States and Americans, all of us, have certain genes that are part of our system, including the belief in the rule of law, the, re- the belief in the rule of equa- and, and importance of equality, the importance of voting, uh, the importance of separation of powers, things like that. And the rule of law prevailed. And the book is dedicated to the public servants who preserve our democracy, because it's my view that the judges did a spectacular job of really making certain that people believe the rule of law prevails. And that's how we got through the most recent stress test, in my view. You spoke with David McCullough on the Wright Brothers. How does that kind of fit into that theme? Well, David McCullough is one of our greatest historians, and it's really an interesting story about American innovation. We are an incredibly uh, innovative country. We were invented as a, as a, a kind of a whole new cloth uh, invention, really. That's what the country was. We, we were invented uh, by our founding fathers. Uh, we have a great interest in invention in this country and creativity. And the book describes many of those kinds of inventions. One of them is the ability to fly. And the Wright brothers were not educated uh, in terms of college education. They had no aeronautical engineering. They were two bicycle manufacturers. They went to Kitty Hawk, and they not only created the ability to fly and to land safely, but they had to do it in France, more or less. While they did 
practices in Kitty Hawk, people in the United States didn't take them seriously. They couldn't get any U.S. government money. And so they went to France to demonstrate uh, what, what was going on and what they had achieved. Only after they did things in France did they come back here, as David McCullough reports, and finally people here accepted what they had done. I know you never want to pick your favorite out of any of these stories, but give me one of your favorites. Uh, of all the stories that you learned, of all the historical takes you took, which one was it? Well, I would say there are two that I would just mention. Uh, Sonia Sotomayor talked about the importance of civic education. She's on the board of iCivics, following the lead of Justice O'Connor. And she really is really focused on making certain that people know history and civics. And she talks about why that's so important. And then somebody I used to work with at the White House, who later became the first woman to be secretary of state, Madeleine Albright, talks about what it's like to be an immigrant coming into this country. She escaped Nazism. She escaped communism. She came here. uh, She made a life for herself and obviously rose up to be secretary of state. Both of them are very emotional stories about uh, the backgrounds of people who who, who, who come from different backgrounds and many Many people in America, one was an immigrant and one's parents came from Puerto Rico. David, thank you. Uh, Appreciate your time. And we appreciate the breadth of all the different subjects you let us cover with you. His new book, again, is called The American Experiment. You should check it out. Next on Squawk Pod, policing the skies while enforcing a mask mandate. Sarah Nelson is the head of the biggest union of flight attendants. We have heard overwhelmingly from flight attendants that they support vaccination mandates because we know that the only way to end this pandemic is for everyone to be vaccinated. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. TSA data from over the weekend showing that airline passenger levels remain below 2019, but they're still up more than 100 percent from last year. However, enforcing federal mask mandates remains a dangerous job for airline workers. Yeah, that's a Leading to physical and verbal disputes in July, the FAA said 75 percent of incidents this year we're tied to the mask mandate. The Biden administration now says it will double minimum fines for those who refuse to comply. Joining us right now is Sarah Nelson, international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, representing nearly 50,000 flight attendants at 20 airlines. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, but boy, has your job gotten tough, Sarah, uh, and those of your members who are now effectively being asked to police the skies in ways that they never were before. What's the view about how this uh, should work going forward? Well, flight attendants have been enforcing safety regulations and compliance with those regulations uh, for the entirety of our careers. And it just so happens that the mass compliance is one more item that we've had to enforce on board. It was really helpful to have the president speak out last week about the increasing of the fines. 
coming directly from the president. But the increasing of those fines is also about doing that in airports. We took a survey of our members and they found that over half of the incidents on board, there was some signal that there may be a problem in the boarding area or even during the boarding process. And the best way to keep these problems from happening in the air is to keep them on the ground. So if we have more people understanding in the airports, if we're connecting airports and airlines, TSA, and everyone together doing our jobs to try to keep these issues on the ground, the president did a really good job of signaling that to everyone in aviation, that we've got to all do this together, and then signaling to the public that they're taking this very seriously. And I'll tell you, Andrew, you talked about demand being up. That is directly in line with more people getting vaccinated, which shows that people are willing to travel when they feel safe. This is a small number of people acting out, and the mask policies are also about helping people understand that air travel can be safe if everyone follows the rules. But I have to imagine that there have to be members of yours that are calling you up and others saying, look, this job is changing. This job is becoming a lot more complicated than it was 12 months ago. Oh, Andrew, they're, they're having a very difficult time. And I'll, I'll tell you something else. We thought that we were on a path to getting through this pandemic and being in a place of recovery this fall. And we were very hopeful, actually, that the mask mandate could end this fall because as passengers are wearing these masks on a couple hour flights, flight attendants are wearing these masks on 14, 15 hour duty days. We're tired of it. We're tired of enforcing it. And not only that, we're concerned every single day when we go to work and we put that uniform on, are we the target and going to be punched in the face today? So yes, they're saying this has got to stop. We can't continue to have this be the conditions in our job. And it's making it very, very difficult. And we need all the help that we can get to get it tamped down, get it under control and get it back to a place that we're used to. So, Sarah, I've got a tougher question for you. Um, okay. And, 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 and you know where I stand on this. I've always thought that one way that you could get to a better place where maybe you wouldn't have everybody wearing masks is if we get to the country to be more to be more vaccinated than it is. One way to do that would be to require vaccination to get on an airplane, even though today you'd have to be not only probably vaccinated, but also wearing a mask until we can hopefully get to the other side of this. But that would be one way to get there. Do you believe that your members would advocate for that? You know, Andrew, it's not a tough question for me at all. Uh, in fact, we have heard overwhelmingly from flight attendants that they support mask, uh, I'm sorry, vaccination mandates, um, because we know that the only way to end this pandemic is for everyone to be vaccinated. So it's not the role of the union to put in place those mandates, but it, we also know that the courts have said and the EEOC has said that companies have the right to put in place these mandates. And as long as the companies are negotiating with us about how the implementation will work, we can do this in a way that's fair and transparent and works for everyone and does take into consideration the small number of issues where there needs to be an exception. But yes, everyone has got to be vaccinated. And that's the only way that we're going to end this pandemic. That's the only way we're going to get back to the freedoms that we enjoyed before it started. And it's got to happen. Hey, Sarah, I heard that uh, Southwest Airlines is extending the time period that it is not going to be serving alcohol on flights. They've got it going through January of next year, along with the mask mandates. I, I think they think that alcohol really exacerbates uh, any of the potential air rage situations. I mean, how do you feel as somebody who's actually up in the air being forced to be a bouncer? Is alcohol part of the well, problem? <laughs> yeah, alcohol is definitely part of the problem. Uh, the survey shows that uh, close to 60% of the incidents were alcohol related. And we don't need anything adding to these incidents right now. So 
the policies on American Airlines and Southwest Airlines are uh, matching what we have been called for, calling for. But it's got to also match what the airports are doing. So FAA Administrator Steve Dixon asked all the airports to make sure that they are ending the policies of to-go alcohol, that they're putting signage up to uh, alert passengers that if you're inebriated, you're going to be refused boarding, and uh, that you cannot be bringing your own alcohol to drink in the airport or on the planes. You have to be served People by someone that. who is working there. Uh, they, they do. And we have <laughs> to remind them that that is not the policy. You know, we've got basically first-time flyers here of everyone coming to the airport right now, Becky. And we've got to reiterate what the rules are and what the rules have been for decades. Sarah, uh, we're going to leave the conversation there. We appreciate it very, very much. It's a, uh, a fascinating situation uh, to see where we are, and hopefully things are going to get better. I'm hoping soon, soon. You know, so Andrew, thank you. I appreciate your concern, and thank you so much for bringing up this issue and, and all the time that you've given flight attendants over the past year. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Who shows up at the airport with their own BYOB, you know? And that's Squawk Pod for today. On our rundown tomorrow, current Robin Hood chief legal officer and former SEC commissioner Dan Gallagher on potential regulation of the free trading platform. The notion that our customers are stupid, that they need protection, they need the government and the nanny state to come out and save them from making bad decisions. I think they're insulted. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen and follow Squawk Pod and tell us what you think. You can rate this podcast or write a review on Apple Podcasts. Do it right on your phone. Thank you for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.